The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." I shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the surgeoner who is in within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days be may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or your male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder, and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die." Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning. I feel kind of like we're on a little bit of a first date this morning. Uh, Some of you know me, uh, others of you don't know me, so I'll reintroduce myself. My name is Jeff Miller. Uh, I've lived here in the Quad Cities now for about four years, Uh, and when I first moved to the Quad Cities, uh, I lived in Moline, so I I have been one of you before, so I hope that connects us a little bit, uh, and you trust me a little bit more. Uh, I am uh, married to my wife, Alicia. Uh, We're coming up on our 13th year of marriage, and uh, we have three children. We have two boys. We have a boy that's 12 and nine, and then we have a little baby girl that's uh, coming up on four weeks old. So uh, if I look tired this morning, it's because I'm tired this morning. And uh, she's got us on a bit of a rotation and we're trying to work that the other way around where she's on our schedule instead of us being on hers, but it just hasn't, hasn't worked yet. So we're working on that. Uh, be praying for us. So Sam said, uh, I'm a church planning resident uh, at Sacred City. Uh, so what that means for me is that uh, I'm kind of learning all things church planning as far as uh, Sacred City is concerned and the Acts 29 network is concerned. And uh, the goal for me would be to plan a church within the next couple years, uh, whether that be uh, with Sacred City uh, in, here in one of the Quad Cities, or if God calls us elsewhere, we're, uh, we're just seeking what he has for us in that right now. So uh, we're just in a bit of a learning phase. Uh, I've been a youth pastor for about 10 years. Uh, so I've been working with students exclusively, uh, junior high, high school mostly, but uh, even uh, nursery and, and littler kids and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, if I, uh, my jokes are bad this morning, it's because I've worked with students and uh, that's just kind of what I know. And uh, so, yeah. So like I said, I, I feel like we're on a little bit of a first date. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and I hope you'll give me the benefit of the doubt. And I think uh, this will be good for us this morning. And let me do this. Uh, we're going to pray in just a minute, but I also want to confess to you a little bit. I think that may be helpful for you. Um, as we talk about idols this morning, um, I didn't plan on saying this, but, but one, of, one of my biggest idols is kind of the fear of man. Uh, I don't necessarily always see God as, as glorious as I should. Uh, so something I often try to do is to get people to like me. Um, I, I 
kind of tell jokes when it's when I shouldn't tell jokes, or I'm not serious when I need to be serious, or um, just just any number of things like that. So I have trouble in tough conversations. Uh, so when I have to say hard things, I usually shy away from that and have somebody like Sam come in and have those conversations, and and I just kind of watch and say. Mm. That's, that's good. Well said, you know, and instead of doing it myself. So uh, as I'm before you this morning, I want you to know that this passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning, this text has uh, really kind of worked me over uh, and it has not been easy for me. In fact, I uh, kind of just kind of stayed up late last night going over it again and, and re-looking at it and kind of saying, where do I need Jesus in the midst of this? And, and what are the things that I'm clinging on too tightly to? And uh, so I hope maybe that little bit of confession for you this morning will maybe loosen you up to me and also help you to know a little bit about me. So today's topic of, of idols is kind of, well, not kind of, it's, it's serious. This is something we do, uh, but something we aren't confronted with all that often. So uh, as we walk through it this morning, I pray that, that you'll hear it well. I pray that the Spirit will uh, guide our words and our hearts and that, that we'll hear God well this morning. So let me pray for us and we'll jump into this, okay? Father, we are uh, thankful for the opportunity to uh, even gather here this morning as your people. Uh, God, uh, I already prayed this this morning with another group, but this is a day that you didn't promise to us. Uh, None of us, when we pillowed our our heads last night, were promised that we would get to wake up and do today, but yet here we are, and you've put breath in our lungs, and you have enabled our muscles to walk in this building and sit and sing to you and confess to you and uh, hear how you have done the work of absolving us from our sins, and God, we're so thankful for that. And now as we dive into your word this morning, I pray that you would uh, speak fresh to us and speak new to us. God, I pray that you would hide me uh, behind this pulpit this morning and that my words would be yours. If there's any words in these notes that that aren't of you, Father, I pray that you would blank them from my mind and keep them uh, from our ears this morning and that you would uh, be honored and glorified through what we say and do. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so uh, those of you that have been uh, around Sacred City for some time, we've been walking through the book of Exodus for now 21 weeks, okay? For 21 weeks, we've been walking in the book of Exodus, and we've come to chapter 20, and now what we're doing is we uh, kicked off a little series within a series last week on the Ten Commandments. So we're going to take some time and walk through the Ten Commandments one by one. We believe that's important. Uh, we believe the whole counsel of God's Word has something for us, so we don't want to just skip over it and, and blanket it and... Uh, a couple months back, actually, we weren't sure that we were going to do that, and I preached a sermon to a group of about five guys over the whole Ten Commandments, and uh, it did not go well. Uh, there's just so much to do and so much to cover, and if we did it in one week, we would just skip things and we'd miss things, and we wouldn't receive all that God had for us. So we're going through them one by one, and today we find ourselves in the Second Commandment. So last week, uh, Sam preached through verses one through three, and basically in that showed us the exclusivity of God, how God wants a one-on-one relationship with us. And in verse three, God said, you shall have no other gods before me. And what that means for us is no other gods before me, besides me, after me, alongside of me, or even in my presence. So it kind of covers the whole gamut of no other gods. So there's no way for us to look at that and say, yeah, but there's an area here where I might be able to squeeze something in. God said, no, no other gods before me. And see, what's happened here is God has rescued Israel from their slavery, from their cruel taskmaster of Egypt, and he's now giving them the law. So we have to, it's important for us to recognize the order of things there. So God has rescued this group of people, provided them with salvation, and now God's going to give them the law. That's important for us. And Sam talked a lot about that last week. He, he used a couple big words. He talked about indicatives and imperatives. So the indicative is this, that God saved the Israelites from Egypt. So that's what God did. The imperative is this, they responded in obedience. So we see that first comes grace and then comes the law. And we even find out a little bit more by looking at the, the geography of where the Israelites are as we start out this morning. The Israelites are no longer in Egypt. So it's not that God said, hey, while you're here in Egypt, I'm going to give you a bunch of rules and laws and regulations. And if you follow them, I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I'll set you free. Now, that's, that's the opposite of what God did. God steps in and says, I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to redeem you. And in fact, as we look here today, he has because the people aren't in Egypt anymore. They're standing at Mount Sinai and he says, now I'm giving you the law. He says that if you obey these laws, then it will show the world, a watching world, how my people live and how my people are to live. 
See, grace comes first, removing them from their bondage. Then God's law is given to show them how free people, how God's people really live. So today, as we come to the second commandment, the second commandment is actually one of the longest. It covers a span of three verses. We're going to look through uh, verses four, five, and six today. And, and um, what happens is, uh, why I say that is because uh, the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church actually tie the first and the second commandments together. Okay, to make just one commandment there, and they, they lump verses three through six. And what they do is they, they get 10 commandments from splitting the 10th commandment on coveting, so they still end up with 10. And the thought there is that the command uh, to not make idols is part of the command not to have any other gods. And while I will say that those two are closely, closely related, that it would be incorrect, though, to combine the two. It would be incorrect to, to combine the first two uh, commandments because what we're seeing here is these are two different regulations. So the first commandment has to do with worshiping the right God. The second commandment has to do with worshiping the right God in the right way. So what we find out this morning is that uh, it does matter how we worship and it matters just as much who we worship. Okay, so how we worship and who we worship are very closely related. And and, uh, Pastor Justin said uh, last week over on the Davenport side, he said, we can't break any other commandment without first breaking the first commandment. So as we find ourselves here in the second commandment today, if we find ourselves breaking it, it's probably because we've already broken the first and we've chosen to have another God. So this morning, we're going to get after this text. I want to show you four things uh, that the text says, and then I want us to begin to break it down a little bit, and we'll start to flow and go with this. And then hopefully, uh, my goal this morning really is to walk through this text and then make a beeline to Jesus. I want you to, to see Jesus as glorious. I want you to see that he's worthy of your worship, that, um, uh, that, that he should be the thing that we are worshiping, uh, and we'll go after that, okay? So let me share with you up front the four things I'm going to give you, and then we'll get going, okay? So we're going to see this morning there are four parts to this commandment, all right? There is a rule, okay, what not to do. And actually, I don't even like saying that because I think most of us, when we hear what not to do, we automatically start thinking of, God's harsh. He's always telling me what not to do. But actually, as you look at this rule, you could even take it as what to do, okay? So there's a rule, what to do. There's a reason why you shouldn't do that. Or again, you could change that, why you should obey it, why you should uh, not make uh, idols, Then there's a warning, the effect of breaking the rule. And then last of all, we're going to see a promise this morning. If you keep the commandment, this will happen. Okay, so four things, the rule, the reason, the warning, and the promise. Okay, so for those of you that know me, you know that that I grew up Baptist. So there's like, there's usually only supposed to be three points. So I've got four. So I'm already kind of breaking that trend. And I don't even have a poem for you this morning. So we're already starting off on a good note. Okay, I know Ash is from North Carolina. He's used to that. He wants it that way, but we're not going to do it. Okay, so we're going to go with four points, no poem. Okay. So yeah, (laughs) you're out of here. All right, so let's start with it, all right? So let's start in verse four. It's the most obvious right up front. We're gonna find the rule uh, that that we're supposed to obey here, okay? So verse four says this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Let's stop there. We're just a few words in and we're already told, here's the thing. Here's the rule. You shall not make for yourself a, car- a carved image. Now, for most of us, that's pretty simple, right? Like, don't carve anything. I can't whittle anyway. Like, I don't even own a knife to do that with. So we are good. We're fine. Can't do that. But a term that we are probably more familiar with would be the term idol. We get the word idol from the Hebrew word pesel, and it means to hew or to carve out, okay? So God here doesn't make a distinction about what the idol couldn't be made of either, whether it be uh, wood or metal or stone or plastic, you name it, the, the command is don't make it. And there's also something else with this. It, it doesn't matter either if you cut it with your own hands or whether you use a tool, the command is the same, don't make it. Don't make an idol. Now, a lot of people have looked at this and said, well, God doesn't like art. God doesn't like creative things. God doesn't like people uh, making things. But that, that would be kind of the farthest thing from the truth this morning. That would be a pretty narrow uh, view of looking at what God's saying here. And we find out that that's even true because later on, the Israelites are going to build a tabernacle uh, in Exodus 31. And it says specifically there that God's going to call a guy named uh, Bezalel uh, to, it says, I'll just read it to you. It says, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, 
with knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to make every craft. So it's not that God's saying, don't be artistic, don't be creative, don't use your hands, don't use tools. God's not saying any of that, but he is saying, don't use any of those things to make an idol. So be as creative as you want, make things all you want, but don't make things or create things that you're gonna end up worshiping. Do you see the difference there? You could be as creative as you want. God just simply says, don't worship it. And this is clarified in the second part of the rule if you look to verse five. It says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. So we find out here that here's why. So although God appreciates artistry, he won't tolerate idolatry. And even if more clarity was needed, and and actually, this is kind of what I love about about reading scripture and, and what I love about kind of finding out more about God here, is God gives them exactly what they need to know about the situation. So as soon as you start to think about a question about uh, what's going on, God kind of steps in here and answers it. So he goes in verse four, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. So you, people start running through their mind, well, what does that look like? What can I do? And God clarifies. He says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water that is under the earth. So Philip Ryken in his commentary on the book of Exodus says, that pretty much covers it, okay? Nothing in the sky, nothing on the ground, and nothing in the sea. What God's saying is, is he's saying, I refuse to be worshiped by any create, or excuse me, I refuse to be worshiped or represented in the image of any of my created things. He's saying, this, this wooden thing you've made, this glass thing you've made, all this stuff, I refuse to be represented in the image of anything that you've created. You see, why this is significant for, for us, why this was significant for the Israelites is because this would have totally set the Israelites apart from any other nation. Every nation around the Israelites right now is worshiping idols, all of them. Think about where they just came from in the land of Egypt. It was all about idol worship. And we saw through the 10 plagues that what would happen, or we saw through the plagues, what happened there is that God comes in and systematically dismantles the idols of Egypt. One by one, he sets them up and he tears them down. He says, here's what you've been worshiping and and he destroys it. He dismantles it. He says, I am better than that thing. What God's doing is he's showing the Israelites that this is the thing that's going to make you distinct. That you're not gonna have any of this other baggage to carry around with you. You only need me and you will only worship me. And what he's already shown them in Egypt is that none of those things will ever measure up to him. None of those things can do what he does. So God here is saying, worship only me and worship me in the right way. Now that's the rule. And then we're gonna find out that God has a reason for this rule. And God's reason is his great love for us. Now you might not have seen that as we originally read the text, but let's get after uh, verse five and we'll see it a little bit. It's, it's kind of a hidden word that we don't like a whole lot in here. But verse five says this, you shall not bow down or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. So we see the reason for the rule is God's jealousy. Now, we don't really like that terminology a whole lot, jealousy. In fact, uh, in our culture, uh, there have been people who said they just can't get behind the fact that God is a jealous God. Most famously, Oprah came out and said, this is the reason why she can't worship God because of his jealousy. And what she did was she's put on God kind of a, a human form of jealousy and made it some sort of like petty human emotion or action. But that's not what God's jealousy is at all. God's jealousy is not petty. God's jealousy is for the, the, the item of his affection. Let me put it to you a little different way. Would you think that I was being petty if I saw my wife in the arms of another man and confronted the situation? No, you wouldn't think I was being petty at all. Most of you would say, hey, there's a guy who loves his wife. There's a guy who loves his lady. There's a guy who's not gonna let anything come between him and her. Now, you might see some things come out in that jealousy. You might see fists fly. You might hear words come out of a man's mouth that you haven't really heard before. Or if the shoe's on the other foot, you might hear words come out of a lady's mouth that you just didn't think should come out of a lady's mouth. Because of her jealousy, though, you actually see the power of her love. Listen, 
God feels the same way about his people. Sam talked last week about this very fact that this relationship that we have with God is very much a marriage relationship. It's God and us, and it's exclusive. When God says here, make no idols, he's saying, I don't want any other lovers in our home. Nobody else comes in this bedroom. It's us. That's powerful. You see, this is also the difference between God and idols. See, idols don't mind sharing you. Idols don't mind sharing you. They'll say, yeah, bow to that. Bow to that too. Bow to that too. They, they want you dispersed. They want you all over the place. But God says, no, 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 no. This is us. I'm not gonna share you. He says, our love is exclusive. It's passionate. It's intense. It's jealous. Now listen, again, it's not an insecure It's not an insane, it's not a petty jealousy. God is showing his care for the object of his love, and that's us. I want you even to think a little bit more about it. If God wasn't jealous for you, would you really want him to be your God? Like if God was cool with you just kind of sleeping around with every other idol, would you really want him? No. If anything, you'd say, well, he doesn't care, so neither do I. He doesn't value me above everything else, so why would I value him above everything else? God says, I'm exclusive with you. I'm passionate towards you. I'm intense towards you. I'm jealous towards you. Now, many people believe, though, that this makes God narrow, but in actuality, it's the only way it can be. It's an exclusive relationship between you and the creator of the world. He and he alone has rescued you. He and he alone has redeemed you. He has set us on a sure foundation that is Christ. Therefore, he deserves our worship alone. Let me give you this thought too. No idol has ever done for you what God has done for you. It just hasn't. You could even begin to think of some of the idols in your life right now, and we'll talk about some of these in just a few minutes, but no idol has ever done for you what God has done for you. But man, we push back on this so hard. We live in a society that can't stand monopolies. In fact, we even have laws against monopolies being created, right? Like one company can't own all the, all the areas of this business. We, we can't stand it. We don't like it. Our country's built on not having monopolies. What the truth is, is we like to keep our options open. When I was in Texas, one of the greatest things that ever happened was we, uh, we, they, the energy companies there, the electric companies didn't have a monopoly. So you could choose your own electric company. Like here in the Quad Cities, there is a bit of a monopoly, right? You get good old mid-American, right? And it sounds so great, right? Like mid-American, yeah, that's who we are. When I was in Texas, you could pick anybody. So what you'd do is you'd spend a whole half of your day and you'd call every electric company in the area. You'd say, what's your rate today? What's your rate today? What's your rate today? And then they would, they would kind of barter with you. Well, we can lock you in at this, Mr. Miller, if you would just commit to your whole life, right? They would like just suck you in, and, but they didn't have a monopoly. So you got to kind of choose the best rate. And as Americans, that's kind of how we like it right? I want to have options. I don't want to be exclusively tied in. There's so many other things you could do like that, right? Like the cell phone industry, right? You're with AT&T, you don't like your rate. Well, you can go to Sprint and get half half the coverage and half the cost, right? Or you can go to Verizon and like, I don't know what their thing is, like, but you could, or T-Mobile, or you can go to any other thing. We like having these options. We don't like being locked into a contract even. And now those phone companies have caught onto that and they'll say, we'll pay off your contract. Just come to us and sign another contract. Wait, what? (laughs) They're saying, we don't want you to be exclusive with them. We want you to be exclusive with us. But if you don't want to be exclusive with us, they could just buy us out too and we'll make money off the whole thing. But you see how that works? But God here says, no, I won't be one of many. I will be the only. Now listen, it goes on. From here, God goes on to provide a warning. So verse four was the rule. Don't make for yourself any carved image. Verse five was the reason for the rule, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And now we find the warning uh, at the end of verse five. It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. God shows his zeal to be glorified in our worship by cursing those who break the second commandment. Now, 
My, uh, in preparing for this this week, uh, originally I had a ton of notes on this point and I was like running myself round and round and round. And but honestly, what I was trying to do was try to talk myself out of what this verse is really saying. You ever do that? Like you read something, you're like, no, 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 it can't possibly mean that. It can't possibly say that. So I'd like crafted all this stuff and made all this stuff. So what, I, what I'll say is this, I'll just read to you what I wrote in my notes. I said, now to be honest, I think we could spend a lot of time here this morning on this point but I'm not really sure it would be beneficial in contributing to the conversation. Most of our arguments would probably lean toward asking the question, is that fair? And the short answer would be yes. And the really long answer I came up with was yes. So we're going to go with the short. We will spend a little time here this morning because we're actually introduced to something that's pretty important here. We're introduced uh, to an uncomfortable theological principle known here as covenant solidarity, okay? Covenant solidarity. And what it means is this. It means God holds families responsible for their conduct as families, okay? Covenant solidarity. God holds families responsible for the conduct of their families. You see, the Israelites were in a covenant with God, and when the covenant head of any family sinned against God, the whole family would have been judged. You can do a neat little study on this if you'd like to. In 2 Kings uh, chapter 10, we find a guy named Ahab and 70 of Ahab's sons were killed for their father's idolatry. And that's a tough teaching and we're gonna talk about it just a little bit more and then we'll move on from it. So here's where my argument came in, right? So what we get hung up on is, is typically we're like, well, that's not fair. It's not fair for the children to be punished for the sins of the father. It's just not fair. And we'll talk about that in a second, but let me say this as you're thinking, maybe it's not fair. While it's true that God holds families responsible, at the same time, this principle doesn't override or deny individual responsibility. So God holds each one of us accountable for our own sin. Most of the time when we struggle with the idea of this isn't fair, what we're really saying is that we're assuming that though the father is guilty, that the children are not. So God would be unfair to punish the children because they're not guilty. But Romans 5.12 clears this up for us. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What scripture tells us here is it's telling us that no one's without excuse before God. So you may hear a lot of people say, uh, or, well, let me just say this. No one can say, well, if you only knew my father, then you'd know why I am the way I am. Or if you only knew where I grew up, you'd understand why I am the way I am. But God steps in and says, no, 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 make no mistake. You are the way you are because you're a sinner. You are the way you are because you are a sinner. So it's not that because God hates the sin of the father that now he hates the children too. No, he hates both of their sin. He hates the father's sin and he hates the children's sin because they're sinners. Therefore, it is fair and just for God to punish their sin and for their father's sin. Listen, there's, there's good news found within this verse, though, that we often miss. So let me give it to you. Because this point leads perfectly into our last point. It's the promise. God says, for those of you that choose to disobey, there will be consequences that last to the third or fourth generation. Okay? Now, let's look at verse six. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do you hear that? Obey my commands and don't worship idols and I will bless you for thousands of generations. So break, break the command and three or four generations will be punished for the sins of their fathers. Keep the command and thousands of generations will be blessed. Do you hear the grace in that? That's actually good news. Listen, many people I just push back on this so hard. And, and, but stop. Don't push back on this. Listen to the truth of this. What, what's happening here this morning is for some of you, you may say, I come from a family that worships idols. Listen, God, even through his word, is revealing to you that he's all about redeeming the family back to himself. This very morning, he may be calling you and your family to leave those idols behind and follow him. 
Even in the midst of your family's idolatry, God's offering grace. And he's saying, worship me and me alone, and I will bless you for thousands of generations. I have this for you. I want this for you. Leave a legacy in your family where he and he alone is worshiped exclusively as he commands. Listen, this was really challenging for me this week. As a dad, I had to ask myself, am I as concerned with the second commandment as I am my fantasy football team? Yikes. For you, it may not be that, and you're like, what is fantasy football? I wrote here maybe even a little something for moms. Moms, are you concerned with the second commandment as you are with maybe your your multi-level marketing business? Are we concerned with the second commandment as much as we are these other things we kind of add on to our life? You see, all too often, you and I miss the second commandment because we don't take it seriously. Think about it. We often say things, or we look at a verse like this or a passage of scripture like this, and you say, I would never do something so silly as to walk around with some type of carved or graven image in my pocket or in the diaper bag or in my purse or in my hands or uh, shoved somewhere uh, in, in the cup holder of my car. And we would never do something so silly as that, would we? But even as we're here this morning, I find this just in my pocket. Most of you too probably have something similar in your pocket or in your purse, somewhere really close. Maybe it's even on your wrist. You don't even have to reach for the device anymore, right? Just a a quick glance. But we would never be so silly as to walk around with, with some type of idol, right? Something that steals our time, something that we devote our time and energy to, something that takes up our money, something that, that we're constantly looking at. Many of us this morning have have glanced down at it. We've looked at it, not because one of our friends was about to have a baby, even though that's probably a very possible case here at Sacred City, but just because we wanted to know what was going on. What's going on in the world? How's my battery life doing? How's my team doing? How's my photo doing? All this stuff. Let me ask you this. What would you have done this morning if you left this at home? Like how quickly does the car turn back around? Like as soon as you notice it, right? Like, I'm, I gotta go back. Huh. How quickly do we scheme a way for somebody in our home to bring us this device if we can't go back and get it ourselves? Right? Like we're texting neighbors. Well, actually we can't because we left it there. We've got to like go to the gas station and, and like borrow a friend's phone, right? Like, can, can I use your phone for a minute? I've got to text somebody about forgetting my phone right? Like we do it. I noticed even this week on my computer at, at the office, I've got my, uh, my messages synced. So if I leave my phone at home, no big deal. I've got it on my computer right there. I noticed I was sitting at the coffee shop and it's not just on my computer at work. It's there on my laptop too. Just dinging all over the place. Oh, you've got a new email. Oh, somebody's texted you. Oh, something's going on. But I tell you, if I left any of those things, I would scheme away to get that thing back in my hand, to get that thing back in my pocket. I've got to have it. I might even like pull a kid out of school and see if there's any way they could possibly bring that to me. Those of you that have kids that drive, you're like, I hadn't thought of that. It's pretty good. <laughs> they don't want to be at school anyway. You know, <laughs> they, could, they could do this for me, but we just find a way to get it to you. And let me ask you this. How do you respond when this thing doesn't work? <laughs> it's not world ending, is it? No. My wife... <laughs> Well, I won't use my wife. I, <laughs> I act like, have you ever seen somebody with their phone that just doesn't know how their phone operates? And they're just like, like, what's, like if you hit it harder, it will work. Or if you just shake it a bit, like it will work. Like we do that though, don't we? Our battery's not lasting as long anymore. And what do we start to do? We're just complaining about this stupid thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't do what I want it to do. It just won't work. Let me ask you some questions. What do you do for something that makes you feel loved? You'd turn your car around and go get it, wouldn't you? What do you do for something that makes you feel secure? You'd go out of your way to get your hands back on it, wouldn't you? What do you do for something that gives you worth? This thing tells you 
You're important, right? You've got notifications showing up. You've got people sending you messages. You've got, you've got clash of clans telling you you forgot to open up a treasure box. But I'm worthy because of that, right? Clash of clans needs me. I've got to do it. This person who sent me the message, they need me. The person who commented on my photo, they need me. This thing makes me feel worthy. Just look at how often it goes off. I'm worthy. What do you do for something when it makes you feel significant? When something makes you feel significant, you put a cover on it, right? You get, you get yourself a little otter box, right? You could run this thing over with a truck. It'd be fine. Man, when something's that significant to you, though, you'll protect it from being run over by a tractor trailer, right? Like, I don't know if that situation's ever gonna happen, but I'm ready for it because this thing is so significant to me. We cover it, we upgrade it, right? Oh, this one's not working all right. I'm gonna get the next best thing. And now I can't even plug my headphones into it. Awesome. That's how great it is. It's significant. How many times do you, you look at it, right? How many times an hour do you just find yourself glancing or, or a minute or, or every hour do you just find yourself glancing at it? How do you make, I mean, how often do you make sure that others know you have it? Man, when, when something is significant to us, when something makes us feel loved or secure or worthy, we spend a lot of time taking care of that thing. So you might be kind of asking to me this morning, are, are you saying my phone's an idol? Just think about it. Like this comforting piece of glass and plastic holds everything sacred to me. All my photos, all my contacts, my schedule. It's like my portal to the world. How do I do anything without this? Those of us that are like over 30 in the room, we remember those days, right? And they were miserable. There's only like five of us. Those, I think there's a couple over here. Those were miserable days, right? Like I had to wait 19 years of my life before I actually had my own cell phone. Like my kids are like, dad, how old were you when you got your first cell phone? I'm like 19, 19 miserable years that I was out of contact with the world. I knew what none of my friends were doing. I didn't have any idea what was going on in the world. I didn't know if anyone liked my pictures. It was awful. It was so awful. I was lost for 19 years of my life. I was so lost. Listen, how, how in the world did anyone know what I was doing? And how in the world would anyone in the world know what you were doing if you didn't have this thing? How would I get directions? For real, how would I know where I was going? Do you remember the days of MapQuest? And you would like print off directions and keep them next to you. It was like, I don't know which was more dangerous, really, like having, having the phone or having the like paper to look at. I remember one time making a trip from Colorado to Delaware with MapQuest. How in the world is that even possible? Like, it's just no, nobody to like ding and tell me like, you will turn in two miles. Like, I, if, I, if I didn't look at that paper every like two minutes, like I was not turning. It was so bad. How would I know what my president is up to? Or sorry, maybe for some of you, not my president was up to. How would I know what he was tweeting about? Hmm. How would I know if my photo had been hearted or not? You see, we would never do something so silly as to carry around an idol with us, would we? We would never do something so silly as to have something we relied on so much that we really didn't even need human interaction. We would never do that. Let me pick on one more this morning. I'm, kind of, I'm picking on myself here, but what about our kids? What about our kids? You see, this one's not so simple, right? Because we can't keep them in our pocket. I mean, at least you shouldn't keep them in your pocket. We could even ask some of the same questions about our kids, right? Like, what would you do if you left them at home? Well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> you should go back home and you should pick them up, okay? Like, you should go back. But listen, what happens when your kids fail or when your kids don't do what you want them to do? It jeopardizes all of those things, right? Our significance, our worth, it jeopardizes all those things. Our security is now at risk. 
Why? It's because we've crafted these little image bearers into our image. And when they don't function in the way that we've crafted them to function, it kills us. It breaks us. We struggle with our security. Am I a good enough parent? You might have seen it even just this week. Like maybe, maybe a friend's baby wasn't sleeping through the night and, and they put a message out on Facebook like, friends, what do I do? And then 900 people commented on like, well, you should co-sleep. No, you should never co-sleep. Oh, you should feed them before bed. You should never feed them before bed. Oh, you should, you should feed them on demand. Oh, you should never feed them on demand. Like you just get all these people like saying all this stuff and you're like, your security is just at risk, right? Like what if I'm not doing a good enough job? And your worth, man, what if my kid doesn't succeed at the things I want them to succeed at? I've got a baseball player and a soccer player in my house, and this is so hard. Like when my kid gets up and he strikes out, or when my kid whiffs at the like, uh, game-winning goal, like my worth takes a hit, right? Like I should have spent more time teaching him how to swing. I should have spent more time teaching him how to kick, and I should have done all these things, and now my worth is at stake. Like I'm not good enough. My significance, the same thing. I'm not significant because my kids just aren't doing what I wanted them to do. I want them to be astronauts. I want them to be uh, scientists. I want them to be cops. I want them to be all these things, but man, they don't act like that. And now my significance takes a hit. Well, if they're not significant, like, am I? Have I done the right thing? And when, when our kids fail us, we've got a real problem because we've crafted them into this image. So if they fail, it means we've failed. And that's kind of the key to idols. The thing about idols is they never fail to fail. My wife and I uh, are Netflix uh, bingers like most of you probably are. And the latest show we got into is a show called Bates Motel. Have you seen Bates Motel? <sighs> So it'll mess you up, okay? So there was a movie years back called Psycho. Everybody, anybody see the movie Psycho? Okay, I'm not advocating it for your children, but, but anyway, the show Bates Motel is basically the story of how Norman Bates became Norman Bates. And the story goes a little bit something like this. There's a mom and her name's Norma, which you can already tell there's issues here because the mom's na- name is Norma and she named her son Norman, okay? It's not confusing at all, but What Norma does with her son is she feels all alone in life aside from her son. So what she does is she makes him totally dependent upon her. Norman can't do anything without his mother's approval, without his mother's watchful eye. Uh, He just can't do it. So she not only feels love in getting Norman to kind of be fully dependent upon her, she receives his love in doing this. Now Norman needs her. Norman has to go to her. He has to ask her questions. He has to, basically, he just can't do anything on his own. And Norma feels secure when she can control and manipulate the events of her son's life. She won't let him have a girlfriend. She won't let him have a car. She even makes him work at the motel so she can keep a watchful eye over Norman. Every area of his life is under her thumb. She just watches. And when, when the events of Norman's life are going the right way, it provides her with security. And other people even come into her life and kind of jeopardize the relationships she has with Norman and she cuts them all off. Boyfriends, she even gets married at one point and, and Norman, uh, because her love for Norman is so important and she finds her identity in Norman, it ruins every other relationship in her life. She can't have any good thing. And people come in and they say, hey, you should not be this way with your son. And she just cuts him off. She says, don't tell me how to handle my idol, essentially. I'll take care of this on my own. Now, something interesting happens. Do you know what Norman does to Norma? He kills her. He kills her. That's crazy. Listen, though, there's a truth in that that we may miss. That's what idols always do. Idols always, slowly, steadily, and eventually, they will kill you. Now, am I saying this morning that your kid is going to kill you? No. 
But what I am saying is if you make an idol out of them, it's causing you to misplace your love, your security, your significance, your worth, and that is death. Scripture would say that's a return to slavery. And remember, you've been freed from that slavery. That's the whole part of the 10 commandments here. God is telling the people how to live free now. He's saying, don't go back to your former slavery and here's how not to. Rule one, have no other gods before me. Rule two, make, do not make for yourself a carved image. This is the way to live as a free person. This is a way not to return back to your slavery. Now we see in the midst of this why God says to the nation of Israel and to us, don't make idols. It's because God knows that if you make an idol, it will kill you. And that's not what God came to do in freeing you and I. In fact, John 10.10 says that the thief, or you could even say the idol there, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. The idol never said that. Jesus goes on in verse 11 and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Hey, let me ask you something. When was the last time your idol laid down its life for you? You see, the truth about idols is, if you think about it, it's a pretty one-sided relationship. It's a relationship where your idols continue to take and you continue to give. Day after day, they're taking from you, taking from you, taking from you. Some of you are thinking about your kids right now and you're like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Idols do that. They will take and take and take and they will rob you of life. Idols always want more of you. Idols are always demanding that you upgrade them, that you take care of them, that you make sure that they are the most important thing. Tim Keller says this, he says, making an idol out of something means giving it the love you should be giving your creator and sustainer. Let me read that again. Making an idol out of something means giving it the love you should be giving your creator and sustainer. You see, when we're worshiping an idol, we're often surrendering our identity to it. We become a slave to it. We say, you now have control of my life. Think about it. It makes you turn your car around. It makes you rethink your life decisions. Idols want you to be a slave, but God wants you to be free. Idols want you to be a slave. God wants you to be free. But when you have an idol, your security, your self-worth, and your significance depend on this thing. Think about how foolish that is. Basically, we're saying to other things, we're looking to these other things to say, I need something besides Jesus to save me. That's what we're saying to our idols. I need something besides Jesus to save me. We're telling our phones, I find salvation in you. We're telling our kids, I need you to save me. We're telling our jobs, we're telling our money, we're telling our house, you are my savior. God, help us in the midst of that. Verse four in our text said specifically, don't bow down or serve them. It's God screaming to us, don't return to your former slavery. I freed you from those things. Don't go back. Stop confusing the created with the creator. The created was made for your enjoyment, your pleasure even, and to point you back to the creator itself, but not for your worship. You see, the creator of those things only deserves your worship. I wonder if you'll take a little trip for me over to the New Testament. If you have a Bible with you this morning, you could pull it up on your idol, I mean your phone, and you can uh, look to uh, Colossians chapter one. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, just awkwardly stare over your neighbor's shoulder. Uh, I'm gonna read a little bit with you today. Let me turn over there. We're gonna look at Colossians chapter one, and then we're gonna make a little jump to Colossians chapter three as well. But let's start in Colossians chapter one. We're gonna look at verses 15, 16, and 17. In Colossians 1, 15 through 17, uh, Paul, speaking of Christ, says this. He said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. 
You hear the significance of that verse? All things were created through him and for him. What it does not say is it doesn't say that all things were created along with him. No, no, it says all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. You see, if Jesus is the creator and giver of life itself, then he can't be squeezed into some idol. We can't find what we find in Jesus in any other thing. You see, Jesus is God in the flesh who came to die for your idolatry and die for my idolatry. And when Jesus was tempted with idolatry, he didn't bow down to it, but he performed perfectly on our behalf. Listen, Hebrews 12, 2 says of Jesus, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. No idol will ever do that for you. No idol has ever done that for you. Jesus on the cross has proved himself worthy of our worship alone because he alone did this for us. Do you see Jesus as worthy this morning? Do you see Jesus as enough? Do you see Jesus as the one and the only one who frees us and provides for us salvation? Nothing else does. Nothing else will. You can even already begin to think about the idols in your life. Your money is constantly letting you down. You never have enough. Your stuff is always breaking. That home you bought that you thought would be great and it would be the thing that you needed to make you feel like you had arrived, it's always breaking. The door handles don't work. The doorbell stopped working. The, the, you can't even cut baseboard the right way to match up with the crazy angles in this place. It's frustrating and that's what idols are. They frustrate us. They demand our time, our energy, our life, but Jesus came to free us and provide us with salvation from those idols. Flip over a page to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three, verses one through five. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, the answer this morning is not loving our other stuff less. It's to love God alone. The problem is not our stuff. The problem is that we have a heart that's bent toward idolatry. John Calvin uh, said this. He said, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. He also said, every one of us is, even from his mother's womb, expert in inventing idols. You see, the problem's not our stuff. The problem is we're bent toward idolatry. The solution is to love God alone, not love our stuff less. See, oftentimes we try to do that though. Well, I'll stop looking at my phone so much. I'll stop demanding so much of my kids. I'll stop expecting uh, my job to serve me. I'll stop expecting my spouse to be the thing that frees me. Listen, the answer isn't loving your stuff less. It's loving God alone. You see, loving God alone won't make you love your phone less or your kids less or your money less or anything else less. It will place them in their proper order as a created thing. They were never intended to be worshiped. Think about how freeing it would be for you to say to your kids, listen, you know what, guys? I love you, but I'm no longer going to worship you. Think about how different you would view your job if you kind of felt the same way. Listen, I like you as a job, but I'm not gonna worship you. I'm not gonna devote all my time to you, all my energy to you. I'm not gonna give you my life. You are not worthy of it. The sky's the limit on all the things we could list off here. We could talk about your marriage. We could talk about your home. We could talk about your finances. We could list all of these things. But listen, the idea this morning is not loving that stuff less. It's loving God alone. 
Hiding in the middle of Colossians 3, one through five is verse four. And I believe it gives us the key to what's going on here. Colossians 3, verse four says this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Do you hear the significance of that? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul didn't say here, when your phone, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with it in glory. Your kids, who are your life, when they appear, then you will also appear with them in glory. Your money, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with it in glory. No, no. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Jesus must become more beautiful to your imagination and my imagination and more attractive to our heart than our idol. That is the only thing that will will replace our idol. It's a better vision of Jesus. You see, if you uproot your idol and you fail to replace it with Jesus, another idol will simply take its place or that idol will grow back. It's a vicious cycle. If you uproot your idol this morning and you fail to replace it with Jesus, something else will replace it. It will spring back up. But because Christ is your life this morning, put to death your idolatry. See Jesus as the only thing worthy of your worship. As I close this morning, in order to come to God in true worship, we don't need to make some type of idol. We don't need to make something else more significant. All we need to do is to come to God through Jesus. And when we come to Christ, then God lives in us through his Holy Spirit. And he works in us to repair his image so that there's no way we can see anything else as worthy of our worship. I hope this morning as we've talked about some of these things, you've seen how silly it is for us to worship those things to worship a phone or a kid or a paycheck or a bank account or any other thing just seems silly when we look at what Jesus has done for us. When we look at the face of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, it should seem silly. Nothing else is worthy of our worship. God has come so that we can, or excuse me, Jesus has come so we can live free since we've been set free for his glory. And that's what the 10 commandments are all about set free to live for his glory so that the nations around us, so the people around us that are watching will see what God's people live like. They'll see what God's people look like. I found a quote. It said, idolatry isn't just a failure to obey God. It's a setting of the whole heart on something besides God. So the answer this morning isn't just pointing out that you have an idol or even calling the idol by name. The answer this morning is repentance. Turning away from the idol and putting on Christ. Denouncing the idol and crying out to Jesus. Putting to death the idol and finding life in Christ. It's putting the idol in its proper place as a created thing. This morning here in just a moment, we're gonna have an opportunity to come to the Lord's table and do just that. It's an opportunity for us to renew our worship in Jesus, the only one that's worthy of our worship. It's an opportunity for us to look at the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us and recognize that no idol has ever done that for us. That there is nothing in this world who loves us the way that Jesus loves us. There is no God with a little g in this world that loves you the way that, G, that God loves you, that came to set you free the way that God did. So this morning, as we take the bread and we take the cup, may we renew our covenant with the only God who's worthy to be worshiped. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful for an opportunity this morning to look at the second commandment and Hopefully this morning, even Father, see that that we in fact do have idols, that we do have things in our life that we have placed before you. God, maybe we didn't carve them with our hands or maybe they're not metal or wood or plastic or stone, but there are things in our life that we find more glorious than you. 
God, this morning, would you help us to not only name those things, but would you help us to destroy those things? Would you help us to put them in their proper place? Would you help us to see Jesus as better than those things? We even sang about it already this morning, that Jesus is better. God, make our hearts believe. God, this morning, you've given us an opportunity as we come to this table to renew our covenant with you as your people, as those who are refusing to have idols in our life, those who aren't making for ourselves a carved image, those of us that, that want to see our children and our children's children blessed for thousands of generations, those who want to see the watching world come to know you and worship you the way that you command us to. God, this morning, would you do a work in us? Would you awaken our hearts to worship you and only you? And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.